Okay, so turn in your Bible to Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 15, and we're going verse by verse through Isaiah, and today is going to be fun. Today, oh, today, I've been looking forward to today. Uh, we're in a section on your notes there, uh, and we're calling this section God's Judgment on the Nations because it's chapter after chapter after chapter of judgment pronounced on the nations surrounding the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. Uh, you'll recall that as we jump into Isaiah, we see uh, God's people, God's nation in a very, very uh, dangerous situation. They have turned away from God. They have rejected his law. They have built idols and altars to surrounding gods in the high places all over the nation of Israel. And with the exception of one or two godly kings that have tried to put a stop to that, most of the kings that are ruling uh, both the northern and southern kingdom at this time have also been wicked kings and they have promoted the idolatry. And uh, the Bible tells us that God disciplines his children because he loves them. And so in light of that truth, God's judgment, his disciplinary correction is coming on the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. In Isaiah's lifetime, he will see the northern kingdom come under the judgment and discipline of God as the Assyrian nations who surround the known world, they're the, the ruling empire of the day, uh, those Assyrians come in as God's instrument of judgment and they take the northern kingdom uh, back to Assyria as their captives. Many die in the process and the northern kingdom is utterly destroyed. And uh, in the aftermath, God has sent Isaiah to prophesy mainly to the southern kingdom, to Judah, and call them back to repentance, to call them out of their wickedness, or they will undergo a similar judgment as the northern kingdom. So, so that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, Ahaz is the ruler of uh, the, the, the king of Judah. Uh, he has uh, not been a godly king, and there has been direct counsel to him given by Isaiah. And now we're, we're kind of in a, a part of the book where the book's going to zoom out, and God's going to say... My judgment is not just coming on Israel, it's coming on the whole nations, both temporarily, meaning in, in this day and age, and also in the future judgment. So we have in front of us here several nations that are about to receive God's judgment. Now let me just orient you, if um, you failed geography like me, or if you haven't been here recently, this is what the, the map looks like in the time of Isaiah's day. He's writing in the 7th century B.C., and this is kind of where uh, everybody is and what things look like. You'll recognize some of those names because they have the same names uh, as they do today. Uh, others are the ancient names uh, like Kush. Kush is the ancient name for what country? Ethiopia. Okay, so we'll read about Kush in Isaiah and you just have to translate the name into the modern Ethiopia. Okay, so this is what's going on. We see this is... Uh, uh, this is Judah right in here. They are literally surrounded by the Assyrian Empire. And uh, if we go to the other map here, this one's a little bit easier to see the nations that we're talking about because it, it basically removes most of the other references. So these are the nations that we're about to read about, and they give you a rough geographic reference and a short summary there of uh, what's going to happen to them. 
Okay. Now, th- this is important because when you read Isaiah, you can get lost, particularly in this section. So let me, let me be your tour guide here. The, the phrase that you need to look for, and you need to know this, the Bible is God's inspired word. There is a structure to it. There's a, there's a theme. There's an outline. It's not, even when it feels like it, when you're reading your Bible at five in the morning and you're not quite awake yet and you're trying to, there, there is a structure here and recognizing that structure is what allows you to work through the book and not just be totally lost with what's going on. So if you like to make notes in your Bible or, you know, note this down on, on your, uh, your handout, the phrase that you're looking for that's going to get you through this section, chapter 13 through chapter 23, almost to chapter 30, is this little phrase, the oracle. Now, we talked about this last time, and, and you may have marked this down. If I were you, what I would do is I would go through these next chapters, and I would circle or underline that little phrase, the oracle, because that marks a division. And you'll see today it's actually a very logical uh, uh, section where... Uh, Isaiah is pronouncing oracles, or more literally we would translate an utterance, a saying, concerning, and then we're going to see all these different nations. So we see it in chapter 13, verse 1, 14, 28, 15, 1, 17, 1, 19, 1, 21, 1, 21, 11, 21, 13. You see that the, whoever came up with the chapter divisions to, totally blew it in chapter 21, didn't they? Because I mean there's three different divisions there and it's all the same chapters. So don't rely on your Bible chapter divisions alone because very often... Those are helpful, but other times they actually are kind of put in the wrong place. So 21.1, 21.11, 21.13, 22.1, 23.1, and then there's a big jump to chapter 30, verse 6, and, and we'll talk about what happens in that jump. But th- there's a very clear outline and structure that emerges as you realize that there's a pattern uh, that is set off and marked off by that little phrase, the oracle. Okay, So we talked about... The country of Philistia last time in uh, chapter, let's see, let's back up here. So we're talking here uh, in chapter 14. So if you want to turn to chapter 14, we've talked about the judgment of Babylon. We've talked about uh, the judgment of Assyria. And now chapter 14, verse 29, the judgment on Philistia. And uh, we saw a summary of that last time. And then we also saw in chapter 15, verse 1, the oracle concerning Moab. We looked at that last time as well. And that brings us up to chapter 17, verse 1 today. Now you'll notice that there is a blank in your notes regarding chapter 17, verse 1 on Damascus. And here's what we're going to do, okay? Um, this is a part of our study where we're not going to go verse by verse. We're not going to just you know, look at every, uh, turn over every rock and look at every tree. We're going to look at this thematically. And here's how we're going to do this. You are going to participate today. Okay? You are going to put on your Bible exegetical hats and uh, you're going to work on this. Now, now here's what we're going to do. I hope this will be fun and that we'll all learn something, okay? I'm going to assign you a section. Some of you are going to do Damascus. Some of you are going to do Ethiopia. Some of you are going to do Egypt, okay? And that's, I think what we'll do is we'll just take this section will be Damascus, this section will be Ethiopia, and this section will be Egypt. And, and if you thought you got out of it by sitting on the back chairs there, you're in luck. Um, you get to join the group that's in front of you, okay? So you, you gentlemen can jump in here. You guys can jump in here. Okay, and then uh, so we got 
uh, what do you guys, Damascus, all the way on the back wall, and um, you guys get to be the judges. No, no, just kidding. Uh, you jump in for Damascus, okay? You can be Damascus. Now, here's what we're going to do, because when you're reading your Bible, I, p- part of what I want to do is teach you how to read these portions of your Bible. And if you're like me, you come to these and you're trying to figure out who are we talking about and what are the people and what are the, what's the geography and all that. So I'm going to simplify that for you in our exercise today, okay? And uh, there will be a class presentation, by the way. That's where this is going. Um, so what you're going to do is you're going to look over your section. You can work together if you want, right? You can work together with a partner. That's fine. You can work on your own. But what I want you, what I want you to do is I want you to read the section. So Damascus, uh, you guys, let's back up here. You guys have essentially chapter 17, verses 1 to 14. So you're going to look over there, and, and he, uh, you're, you're going to try to answer two things, okay? All of you are going to try to answer two things, okay? What do we learn about God? I'll, do, I'll just write this down here. What do we learn about God? Okay. And what is the cause of the judgment that's coming against the nations, okay? This will simplify it, because what these chapters do, these chapters are designed to do two things. As they announce judgment on each nation, the, the Isaiah is going to say, this is why God is bringing judgment on you, okay? So you want to figure out the cause, but that's not even, that's not even the big picture. The reason that, that this judgment is coming is that we're going to learn something about who God is and what he wants and what he's like. And that is the theological reason behind why God is bringing judgment. Okay, So, so our Damascus uh, study group here, you're going to read chapter 17 and you're going to look for what do I learn about God and what is the cause that the text tells me about why God's bringing judgment. Okay, uh, You guys are Kush, Ethiopia, right? So same thing. What do you learn about God? What do you learn about the reason that the judgment is coming? Some of you guys will look at me like, really, Pastor Keith? Really? You're going to make us work? Yes, I'm going to make you work. And uh, Egypt, okay? So you have your section there. It's marked off in, in your uh, notes there. What do you learn about God? What do you learn about the cause for the judgment, okay? And then what we're going to do is going to huddle up here in a few minutes. I'll give you a few minutes to do that, to look that over. Again, if you want to work with a friend Work with your spouse, someone next to you, a random Christian sitting next to you. That's fine. And um, and then in a few minutes, uh, we'll all share and learn from one another, and then we'll fill our our, um, our outlines in, okay? Any questions on that? Brings a pastor's heart joy to see all you guys pouring over your Bibles. I love it. <laughs> love it. Even if it's out of sheer fear and terror. You know, it's a... Uh... All right. Well, we need to move on, uh, so good job. Um, okay. So um, if you're just joining us, here's the deal. We are in a section of Isaiah where God is pronouncing judgment on the nations. It's, it's the second major division of the book. In this section, you will see the outline is formed. The pattern of this section is formed by the little phrase, the oracle concerning. And that, that divides up each section uh, in our area here. So we've looked at the judgment on uh, Philistia. We looked at the uh, judgment over... Uh, Moab, and now we're in chapter 17, and we're going to talk about Damascus, Ethiopia, and Egypt. And representing the great country of Damascus, we have this side of the room. Okay, well, and uh, so what, I, what we want to know, and, and jump right in here, okay, is, uh, and so all of you are going to be listening and learning, what do we learn about Damascus? So let's all look in our Bibles at chapter 17, and chapter 17 is the prophecy against Damascus, 
And uh, remember, just back up here, Damascus is going to be up here, the main main city in uh, Syria, the capital city of Syria. Okay, so that's where we're at. And uh, so now our uh, friends over here are going to tell us, what do we learn about God in this section? And what do we learn about the cause of their uh, judgment? Fire away. Okay, yeah, chapter 17, verse 3, he's the Lord of hosts. And what, that, what does that mean? Yeah, God of the angel armies. This is God in BDUs, right? This is God coming in his military attire uh, as the commander-in-chief of the host of heaven. Now, what does that tell you? Is he probably bringing a message of encouragement or is he bringing a message of war? What do you think? Okay, see, that t- that tells you, doesn't it? That that tells you, hey, God's probably gonna, God is probably going to be bringing a message of, of judgment on what he is perceiving as his enemies. Okay, someone else. Okay. Okay, yes. So verse 3, the fortified city will disappear from Ephraim. Ephraim is that whole region, okay? And the sovereignty from Damascus and the remnant from Aram, okay? So you're right, it does reference a a remnant, but what it sounds like is that he's saying that's going to disappear as part of that. So that was a remnant that made it. Um, you're right, there, there is references to the remnant here. But I think what he's saying is this is going to actually be um, uh, uh, part of the judgment, is that that will, that will disappear. Um, well, let me look here. Hang on. Oh, no, you're right, you're right. Okay, so yeah, the fortified city will disappear from Ephraim and sovereignty from Damascus and the remnant of Aram. They will be like the glory of the sons of Israel, declares the Lord. Right, so that, that's talking about the preservation of them. You're right. Okay. Someone else. That's right. This is a calculated judgment. Very good. Okay. What else? Okay, yeah, so 7 is a really important verse here. What is 7 telling us? That's right. And so the implication is the reason God is coming in judgment is why? Yeah, they've not been giving regard to his maker, right? Do you see that? And that and that's that's what you're supposed to see here. You know, here's who God is. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the King of kings. He comes... And he's coming uh, to, to bring this judgment to the end that man will one day have regard for his maker. Because that's not what's going on, right? The, the, the nations, because we're all fallen people, the nations have turned away and they don't acknowledge their maker. Okay, very good. What else do you learn? Okay, yes, his sovereignty. The nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff in the mountains before the wind. So he's he's ruling over that, right? Very good. Uh-huh. 
There it is. That's, that's the pinpoint verse as to why the judgment is coming. Did you see that? So mark that one, guys. Chapter 17, verse 10. Chapter 17, verse 10. They have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. That's the key. That's why this judgment is coming. Now flip that around. What is God looking for? What does he want? He wants us to acknowledge him and remember him and worship him and, and you know, go back to uh, chapter uh, verse 7, to have regard for him, right? Now look also at verse 8. He will not have regard for the altars, the work of his hands, nor will he look to that which his fingers have made, even the asherim and the incense stands. In that day their strong cities will be like forsaken places in the forest or like branches which they abandon before the sons of Israel, and the land will be a desolation. What does verse 8 indicate is going on that illustrates that they've forgotten God and, and they're not giving Him regard? The worshiping idols. And what's the word there that helps us to see that? The Asherim. Asherim is one of the many references to idolatry in the Old Testament. It actually referred to uh, a particular pantheon of pagan gods. Okay, the Ashtaroth, the Ashtarim. Ashtaroth is it's actually it's actually a feminine word because it was a female deity. Asherim would be the plural, so you have several idols. Okay, um, anything else from our Damascus group? Okay, do you see it? What's that? Yeah, that's right. They're glorifying the the creature over the creator. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, now look at look at this picture of judgment, just so we get this as we, we come to conclusion. Chapter 17, verse 12. Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas and the rumbling of the nations who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. The nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff in the mountains before the wind or like whirling dust before a gale. At evening time, behold, there is terror. And before morning, there are no more. That, that's a really sad picture, isn't it? You know, he's picturing the people coming like the waves on the sea. They just keep coming and coming and coming. How do you stop the waves of the ocean? You don't, right? And God says, but I do. And that's what he does. He brings the people to a halt in his judgment and it's a it's an awesome sight here okay you see, you see how you guys can do this you're reading through this chapter you look for who is god why is that judgment coming and then it crystallizes and you see okay I, I see god wants us to give him regard he wants us to remember him and acknowledge him and and, and to turn away from a, a lifestyle that would compartmentalize him or push him to the periphery or replace him with other gods as the nation or the, the city of Damascus had done. Yes, Amber. That's right. Yeah. So, so, so everyone today who's waking up thinking that I can do whatever we want, right? We can live however we want. And yet you're absolutely right. God's coming in judgment. He's powerful to bring that. Okay. Good, good job. Damascus they, they did a good job, right? All right. Good job. Very good. Okay, that leads us secondly to our, our uh, Ethiopian group, our Kush group, which is you guys right in the middle here. Nick's like, I'm ready to go. Okay, so what do we learn about God? What do we learn about the cause 
for the judgment that's announced to Ethiopia. And let's just remind ourselves on our map here, Ethiopia is going to be way down here. What used to be called Kush in the ancient day. You guys got that on the map there down in the uh, bottom left corner, the the tip of uh, Africa down there. Okay. All right. So fire away. Group two. Okay. All right. Okay, that's right. Warning before judgment. Yes. Great. That's right. Yes, yeah, so if you go back to verse 2, look at the very end of verse 2. Chapter 18, verse, we're in chapter 18 now, guys, okay? So verse 2, they are called here a powerful and oppressive nation. What do we know about these surrounding nations, many of whom had joined powers with Assyria? What are they doing? What do most great empires of the ancient day, what do they do? They want to get more, which means they go and do what? And con- they go conquer the nations. Um, and, and, and notice, they're not conquering the nations uh, just in the name of Assyria alone. This is a religiously driven overtaking. Assyria is a religious superpower. And as they go and conquer and add countries to their power, they are bringing nations under their gods and under their religion. Um, and so they're called here an oppressive nation. Okay, very good. Good job, Nick. I think Nick, uh, Nick's got some good thoughts there. Someone else, what do you learn about Egypt, or excuse me, uh, Ethiopia? And uh, what about God, and, and why is this happening? Tucker? He's smart is what he is, yeah. Carry on, carry on. They're just jealous. Go ahead. Okay. And with the other ungodly nations which are under the Antichrist, they will all be utterly destroyed. Right. So what Tucker's saying is that Isaiah doesn't give us an exact time frame here, does he? So this could be a reference to God's judgment in the near future, or as Tucker's indicating, this may look you know, to the to the far future, to the end of time, to the final judgment, to Antichrist and, and the end times. So, but he's right. You see here the nations coming against the Lord, and yet, as it says here, they are oppressive, they are divided. There's a message of judgment here, and uh, and they they will not stand. So, very good, good good insights there. And and hey, kudos to him for pulling out the commentary. So that's that's the smart way to do it. Um, and you, know, you understand, uh, the proper use of a commentary is to give you background and insight because we all are not Bible scholars and we don't have the contextual, historical, and linguistic information 
to always understand what's actually going on. Okay, so the, the, a commentary is not to uh, excuse us from trying to interpret the Bible for ourselves, but to assist us into doing that. Okay, so good, good job there, Tucker. What else do we learn here, guys? There's another verse that we're missing here. What's that? Um, in verse 7, yes. it a gift of homage will be brought to the Lord. Okay. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that, Katie. So what Katie's noting in chapter 18, verse 7, if you want to look at that, th- this, you say, what is the, what is the point? What is the, the goal of this judgment? It's not to utterly destroy, just to destroy. You know, you did the crime, now you do the time. But it's all to the end here. Look, at that time, a gift of homage will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, even from a people feared far and wide, a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the river divides to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, even Mount Zion. So what is that talking about? There's a foreign people, and they're going where? They're going to Jerusalem. Now, why would a foreign people go to Jerusalem? That, that's, that's where the, the Israelite God calls home, right? Why, are, why is this foreign people going to Jerusalem? To worship. To worship. Now, why would they be worshiping? Yes, that's right. Their eyes have been opened. They, this judgment has come upon them. And verse 7 indicates that there's some sort of turning on the part of at least some of the inhabitants. And they realize the error of their ways and they're turning back to the Lord. You, you see that. So, so what does that tell us about God? What is his goal in judgment? What is his goal in discipline? repentance yeah it's, it's not just punishment 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 it's yes he's bringing punishment but to the goal that more men and women would turn to him and and have we not seen this in isaiah over and over and over again right that that's the point of all this god is afflicting but not just in a punitive way he's afflicting to bring about a restoration and a repentance to his people and so we see that in verse seven there good job excellent Anything else from our our uh, Ethiopian group here? All right, good job, Ethiopia. Excellent. Okay, that leaves us now with Egypt, our Egyptian group. And uh, we want to know the same thing. What did we learn? Uh, so everybody else, we're in chapter 19 now, okay? Chapter 19, so when you hear references, that's where we're going to be. What do you learn about who God is and why this judgment is coming upon them? Mm-hmm. It tells us that he's going Yeah. Yes. So for those in the back, you hear what she said. She said, "So, so God's coming in His judgment, and yet we see that God is in control, right? And He's He's coming. Um, you know." We have, even today, if you go to Egypt, we have remnants of the idolatry that was going on in this day. So, so Egypt was really known for this over-the-top idolatry. Look at the picture, verse 1, and, and picture in your head. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. Just picture that. You know, you ever seen a, a thunderstorm that's moving really fast and the, the clouds are moving in rapidly? 
Just imagine the Lord of hosts riding in on a swiftly approaching cloud, right? And (laughs) I love this. And all the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. You know, it's almost like uh, he's coming and there's this rumbling of thunder in the distance and you can see the, the pantheons are beginning to shake and the idols are are shaking. But that's not the only thing that's shaking. What else is shaking according to, to verse 1? The hearts of the Egyptians. Now, we need to remember this. Why is idolatry such a threat? Why is it so dangerous to people? It's a heart thing, isn't it? It's not that having a statue is bad in and of itself, although it is against the law of God. It's because that statue that represents some trust in your life, some love, some allegiance, that pulls your heart away from the Lord. And so Isaiah reminds us as God comes in judgment that it makes the heart of the Egyptians, look at the language here, melt within them. Okay, so what a picture. Okay, so what else, uh, Egyptian group? Yeah, Daryl. Um, I think, I think it, um, they uh, were inflicted more uh, harsh uh, dealings with the Lord than the rest of the nations because they were attacked on all fronts, including internal strife. I mean, you name it, it was all bad. I mean, the rivers, the uh, internal strife, they were confused. And uh, it seems like they were delivered a harsher blow than the other. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. There's more culpability there, apparently. You're right. Okay. What else do you see? Okay. Their wise men aren't so wise. Mm-hmm. The, okay, where do, you, where do you see that just for the folks over here? What verse are you getting that from? Verse 11. Yeah, the princes of Zoan are mere fools. The advice of Pharaoh's wisest advisors has become stupid. How can you men say to Pharaoh, I am a son of the wise, a son of the ancient kings? Well, then, where are your wise men? Please let them tell you and let them understand that the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt and the princes of Zoan have acted foolishly. That's true, right? God confounds the wisdom of the wise, doesn't he? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we think of Romans 1, right? Professing to be wise, they actually become more foolish as they reject God. Okay, very good. Very good. Now, look at verse 3. God's coming in judgment. Their hearts are melting. Their idols are trembling. Where do they turn for help? Yeah. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, the things that you struggle with that compete with God for your love and your affection, your trust. And you come to a moment of repentance and you realize, hey, I'm I'm trusting in the wrong thing, right? And we turn away and then the next time a crisis hits, what do we often do? We go right back to the same broken cistern, don't we? We go right back to the same. And that's what they're doing. You see that? They're repeating their folly. They're going right back to the same things that they know that can't help them but are comfortable and are well-worn paths. And one of the things we learn as we grow in Christ, and and we learn this from from looking at passages of judgment like this, there are well-worn tracks that we run to some 
false source of refuge, don't we? And even when we know better, it's hard to get off that road sometimes. So here's the Egyptians. In the day that God is coming in judgment, their idols are fleeing, as it were, and they're still crying out to those those idols, aren't they? The ghosts of the dead. Okay, what else do you see? Mike? That's right. Their protection's gone. Yeah, absolutely. And so we see here, verse 5, the waters from the sea will dry up, the river will be parched and dry, the the canals will emit a stench, and the streams of Egypt will thin out and dry out the bulrushes of the Nile by the edge of the Nile. All all the sown fields by the Nile will become dry and driven away and no more. And Mike's right. Once that goes, that's their economy, and that's their safety. Okay, very good. Someone else? Yes, oh yes, we got to get to the end, don't we? Look at this. Um, in verse 19 and 20. Okay, so let's look at this. And Brenda, you want to comment on that? That's right. Yeah, so when we think about our themes of the book of Isaiah, three, th- three themes, right? Judgment, coming king, and remnant, right? And we see here, even though this judgment is happening on Egypt, there is a hope of future, a, a future remnant, a, a future uh, hope for them as God uh, makes a way for them to repent. And apparently at least some of them turn back to the Lord. There's this altar um, it's a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. And they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion. Isn't that great language? A savior and a champion, and he will deliver them. Now, here's the bonus question. What has happened that the Egyptians finally see that they need the Lord? What's happened here? Mm-hmm. The Lord has mingled his spirit. Um, and, and I think that ties in with 16. Mm-hmm. Because it says in that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because mm-hmm. of the waiting of the hand of the Lord of hosts. Yeah. Which he waits on. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and and Assyria and Babylon and most of these nations, it's true that they exactly, yeah, yeah. So 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 the Lord is removing every subsidiary support, right? Is that yeah? We're not talking present tense. We're talking about future tense, millennial return of Christ. Right. Right. Yeah, and and that's and that's what's hard to hear because you know you're you're looking for contextual clues. Does this happen like in the near future or the far future? And you're right. When you start seeing nations coming to repentance, whole nations coming to repentance, uh, we, we recognize that we've never seen a revival like this in Egypt, have we? Because like Grant said, you know, this event of judgment 
in uh, in the seventh and sixth centuries, um, Egypt has, has never been the same uh, since its its glory days back back in this time. So that helps us to see that we're probably thinking about some time yet in the future, um, as we try to figure out the timing of when all this happens. Verse twenty one, and th- this is the takeaway, guys. This is this is the same thing we've seen in Damascus and in Ethiopia and now in Egypt. Verse twenty one. Thus the Lord will make Himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. That's the point. All of this, guys, we've got 66 chapters in Isaiah of judgment and judgment and judgment. And and if you'll notice, that's the theme of all the other prophets, too. But to what end? To the end that the Egyptians would know the Lord, right? They would know him in that day. Look what it says. They will even worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. The Lord will strike Egypt. Now, this is language that you need to remember, okay? Because, well, one of you said all this is purposeful. Listen to this language. This is really unique language. We don't find this in too many other places in the Bible. Verse 22, the Lord will strike Egypt. Now, when you think of striking, what do you think? Destroy, punish Listen to this. this. This makes your head explode. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing. Yeah, it is. It is, Bill. He's right. This is this is a, a divine spanking, if we want to call it that. Um, it, it is. It, it is. Yeah. So, and 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 there is a parenting analogy here because the Bible is going to use disciplinary verses of the heavenly Father to talk about earthly parenting and vice versa. But think about that. The, the, the punishment, the use of the rod on a child, though it is a measure of punishment, that, that punitive purpose is not the goal in itself, isn't it? It's not just we're punishing you because you did wrong. What's the goal in, in childhood? It's correction, right? It's restorative. It's designed to train. And, and God tells us this in, uh, in Hebrews 12 that that to those who have been trained by the discipline, what does it do? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, so Bill's absolutely right. It's a striking that's designed to heal. It does. It really does, yeah. Okay, and we'll see that here in a moment. So it's a striking that's designed to heal so that they will return to the Lord and He will respond to them and they will heal to them. Never, ever, ever forget that. That God's good, kind hand of healing is in our affliction and even our discipline. That's the goal. Okay, so let's finish this up here. Verse 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria... Watch this. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Wait a minute. We've got a multi-pagan country worship event going on here. Now, some of you know your history well enough to answer this. Did that happen when the Babylonians destroyed the Assyrians and took over? Was there a national, actually an international revival? So what does that tell us about when this happens? 
it's in the future yet, isn't it? You know, we we think of Jesus coming and the restoration of all things and the new heaven and the new earth. And one of the pictures that Revelation gives us, and we, we don't have... We don't have lots and lots of information about what that's like. But one of the pictures that the Bible gives us goes like this. Every tribe and tongue and nation and people doing what? They're worshiping. Do you see that starting to happen here? That's what he's talking about. And that is the goal or the end of what God is doing in the world. Okay, final vision, verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, meaning they join in these other nations that are worshiping the Lord. And what's, what's crazy, and we got to remember this, what is absolutely insane, if you were an Egyptian, you were an Ethiopian, you were a, a, a Syrian, and you're reading this, what would knock your, I would say socks, they didn't have socks then, what would knock your sandals off? Uh, okay, there's peace, and that may be the horizontal shock, right? Because these, these folks were in constant war. Yes, 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 yes. And who are the Syrians and the Ethiopians and the Egyptians? Which God are they worshiping? The Israelite God, Yahweh, right? Would you imagine how shocking that would be? If you were reading about your future and your future said that your, your whole experience was a lie and the future of that is coming and worshiping the true God, not a God that your country knew, but a God of this teeny tiny little spot right in the middle of the Middle East called the nation of Israel. And you're worshiping with your enemies. And you're worshiping with your enemies. Yeah, that's, I think that, that's, uh, Yes, yes. There's ownership here, right? That's right. That's right, that he's going to use. Yeah, Grant. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. yeah David Gibson's convinced we're all going to speak Hebrew in heaven, so <laughs> I think that's... Uh, anyway, yes, uh, Ruth and then Amber. It is. Right. Right. Yes. I appreciate that because sometimes we get to the New Testament and we think, man, we needed the New Testament to know all this, right? It's like, you know, the story changes. No, no, no. You read your Old Testament carefully. All the same themes that we see in the New Testament are represented in the Old Testament if we're looking. Okay, Amber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could you could take it like that you could take it like that I, I think contextually all they're saying is god brings assyria he brings egypt and then he brings israel into this growing group of people that will worship him together collectively yeah 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 they're we know that they're not the the final one because if you keep reading in the book you'll see that this happens to subsequent nations also 
but that's a good question. Okay, back to 24. Let's, let's land the plane here, guys. And that day Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed is Egypt. Now here's the phrase one of you noted, my people and Assyria, the work of my hands and Israel, my inheritance. Uh, Pastor Terry's going to talk about this uh, in future verses in Romans, but Romans talks about the grafting in of the Gentiles, of these other nations to, to take advantage of the rich roots of some of the covenant promises given to Israel. And that's what we see here. He's, he's calling not my people, my people, right? He, he's calling these Gentile nations to himself. And so we have this beautiful picture in the midst of judgment of God calling people to himself. He's afflicting to bring healing. He's punishing to bring restoration and final collective worship of all the nations. So we really have sort of a, a little revelation picture here in miniature, don't we? Um, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I think that that's that's the beauty. So much of what God is doing is he's restoring the vertical so that the horizontal can be restored as well. And that that's exactly the picture there. All right, did you got, was, was that fun? Did you like that? See, you guys are Bible scholars. What are you talking about? So, okay, let's keep these big themes in mind and, and we'll continue on uh, next time. Lord, thank you that even in your hand of affliction and punishment, uh, you bring a hand of healing and of restoration and um, ultimately of, of victory as you call together people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And Lord, we can hardly imagine because we, we have never, ever seen it on the pages of our newspapers. We, we can hardly imagine a time when men and women from all countries, all nations, all peoples, uh, collectively and with one heart and with one voice, bow in worship and reverence and praise and allegiance and love to you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this picture in Isaiah that uh, even in your punishment, there is a, a good purpose of restoration and a desire for repentance. Uh, Lord, might we pray for that? Might we spread the gospel in light of uh, these truths and recognizing that uh, this is your plan and this is your program. Uh, make us mindful that we might be a part of spreading this message uh, so that more men and women might join uh, in this great future vision. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, for Isaiah and for this book. Uh, might it remind our hearts uh, this day of what you're really doing in the world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.